If you will, open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, to chapter 10, and we're going to begin our study there tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We have been discussing for several weeks now the teachings of Solomon found in the book of Ecclesiastes, and they have been summarized under the title, Ponderings of the Preacher. And there's a good reason for calling it that, because the title of the book of Ecclesiastes simply means the preacher. Solomon is the preacher. And what Solomon is doing is pondering the meaning of life and man's response to it. What is this life all about? Why are we here? When we look at the things that are being done about us every day, is God in control? Does he make the choices that you and I follow? Well, this time he is going to concentrate on the topic of folly. In fact, Solomon has talked about it much, and when you look at the word that he uses, the theological word book of the Old Testament had what I thought was an excellent definition. The verb is mostly used in context where man acts out of fear and thus behaves rashly rather than acting wisely out of confidence based in God. Solomon says when you look at a fool, he doesn't think about God. He doesn't think about what man ought to do. He just, man just proceeds rashly without thinking. And then when I go to Psalms 14 verse 1, David said, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. So God is not in his plans. God is not in his thoughts. And you see, Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, has frequently tried to take wisdom, and then on this side he puts madness and folly, and he says, when you look at those two, it's difficult to understand how man reacts. Notice, for instance, chapter 1, verse 17, And I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also was grasping for the wind. You come to chapter 2, verse 3. I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. And then you come to chapter 7 and verse 25 and he says, I applied my heart to know, to search out or to search and seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. Solomon says, I really want to know how all of this fits in life. Well, as I carry you to chapter 10, we're going to see the foolishness of folly. And I tried to outline chapter 10 in a fashion so that it would be proportional. In other words, two or three verses on this, two or three verses on that. And I will tell you that as far as I'm concerned, chapter 10 is very difficult to outline. And after going through it about a dozen times, I came out with an outline that's certainly not symmetrical. But if you look at verse 1, there is an object lesson. And then you look at the rest of it, verses 2 through 20, and you have some observations 
based upon the principle that was in that object lesson. And so, if you will, we're going to look at it that way tonight. Let's begin, first of all, with verse 1. Micah has already read that for us. But he said, dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. Now, when you think about perfume, we tend to think that that's a modern thing. You know, you can go to various fine retail stores, and they'll have perfume, and some of it is extremely expensive. But perfume has been used throughout the ages for a number of purposes. Many times it was used in religious services, the smelling of a sweet smell. And we talked about that just briefly this morning in a lesson. And then it was sometimes used in funeral services for the embalming of bodies. Sometimes it was used in personal grooming, much like we would use even an air freshener today. Let me give you an illustration too. The book of Exodus, chapter 30, verses 25 and 35. God instructs Moses by saying, And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compounded according to the art of a perfumer. It shall be holy anointing oil. Notice the idea of compounding. You bring together various chemicals, various elements, and you bind them together to make this ointment. Or notice verse 35. You shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. I think you can understand what he's talking about. But in the book of Proverbs, chapter 7 and verse 17, he's, the woman, the strange woman, he said, she says, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Now I start understanding some of the elements that were used. Chapter 29, verse 7, ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Many of us would much rather smell a pleasing aroma than a bad aroma. It, it, but if you introduce a rancid element like a dead fly, you can take something that was intended to have a, a very beautiful, pleasing smell, and then it stinks. You don't realize sometimes how something so small can create such a, a bad aroma. I walked outside the other day and I noticed just a just an awful smell. And I went out and there's this little bird laying on the sidewalk that had already deceased and gone through partial decomposition. And it was making the whole yard smell bad. I thought that was bad until Brother Tommy Turner told me this morning. He probably doesn't want me to tell this, that he found a a dead rodent in the exhaust of his clothes dryer. And you can imagine the small amount. You can't put enough dryer sheets to compensate for that. <laughs> the truth is, just a little bit can introduce a terrible smell. And so he says, so does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. You know, it doesn't take but just a few dead flies to make the ointment smell bad. 
And it doesn't take much foolishness to take a person who's well respected to look awful. The thought goes back to chapter 9 and verse 18, the last of chapter 9. And I will tell you, if you're studying Ecclesiastes, you can't just read chapter by chapter. You have to realize that sometimes the thought dovetails into the next chapter. And in chapter 9 and verse 18, he wrote, Wisdom is much better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Just one person doing something evil, something bad, can make everybody look bad. Let me illustrate this in a couple of ways. How many people's lives have been ruined by a foolish, out-of-character action in their life? Just one time, that one event just marks their life. Let me give you an example. What about David? David was recognized as a man after God's own heart. He was a man who had so great of ambition to serve God, and yet here he is standing on the roof of his palace. He looks over and he sees a woman taking a bath. He commits adultery with this woman, and that marked the life of David and introduced sadness and heartache and trouble into his family. It's hard to imagine that one act of folly, how much it could affect his life. Or let me give you another illustration, how one sinner can destroy much good. The children of Israel had gone to the city of Jericho at the directions of God, and God had told them that they were to totally destroy the city and that everything in there was accursed or devoted to God. But when we come to chapter 7 of Joshua, there's a man by the name of Achan, who had taken a few items, a wedge of gold, some garments, and he hid them in his tent. And when the children of Israel went up to the city of Ai to confront it, they found themselves being routed, defeated soundly, because there was sin in the camp. Not everybody. One man, Achan, had destroyed so much good it's just like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? That's Solomon's point, that a little foolishness can do that. Now from verses 2 through 20, Solomon is going to begin by emphasizing that you can recognize a fool and you can recognize him by the things he does. Verses 2, he says, A wise man's heart is in his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. Even if, when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom and shows everyone that he's a fool. How do I know he's a fool? He shows me. He shows everyone. You think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 and 20. Jesus said, You shall know them by their fruits. Verse 20, therefore by their fruits you will know them. Here's a man who's going to live a foolish life. How do you know that he's a fool? By what he does. How many of you have pulled into a convenience store and gone to buy gasoline and had to stand in line behind a number of people who are over there spending a lot of money to scratch off them numbers? If they'd just taken that money 
that they had spent all this year and all these few years and used it, they'd have plenty of money. But no, they're going to spend it on those lottery tickets. How do you recognize a fool? By what he does. There's so many areas in life where one can observe and ponder the behavior of foolish people. In the verses that follow, verses 4 through 20, Solomon will ponder five specific areas where this is seen, and then he's going to end with an admonition. And really, this is the heart of the lesson, if you will. This is Solomon looking at the behavior, observation of foolish people. The first one he's going to begin with is, have you ever seen foolish people in society, in your everyday life? Well, here's the way he's going to describe it. If the spirit of the ruler arises against you, do not leave your post. For conciliation pacifies great offenses. There's an evil which I have seen under the sun, an error proceeding from a ruler or the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, while the rich sit in lowly place. I have seen servants on horses, while princes walk on the ground like servants. Now Solomon has a lot to say in that. And you may think because when you first read it, he's talking about a ruler. But what he is really describing is a situation of resolving conflict. A great offense has occurred. And what greater offense might one be able to make that puts his life in jeopardy than to offend the king or to offend the ruler? And what he does, he's talking about how do you do this? Well, if you'll look at chapter 8 and verse 3, Solomon says, Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. When he says, do not be hasty to go from his presence, I want you to imagine, visualize. Here's the ruler. And you disagree with the ruler. and you, Or maybe you're asking the ruler for his judgment on a matter. And he says something you don't agree with. What do you do? You stomp out. You leave hasty like, I don't agree with you. He says, you don't do that because the king's going to do whatever pleases him. Look at chapter 16, verse 14 of Proverbs. As messengers of death is the king's wrath, but a wise man will appease it. He is going to look for an opportunity to try to bring about conciliation. That's exactly what Solomon is talking about here. And then he pictures fools in a position of power. There are several verses that Solomon addresses in the book of Proverbs about this. He said in chapter 28, 12, When the righteous rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. Maybe a little clearer in chapter 29, verse 2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Chapter 19, verse 10. Luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less a servant, to rule over princes. The picture that Solomon gave you there is, he said, you see people who are of wealth, they're in lowly positions. 
You see the servants riding on the horses, and you can see the princes walking on the ground. Something's wrong with that picture. Let me ask you a question. Just look at life. Do the best and the brightest and the most uh, honest people of integrity rise to the top of our political system? Is that not something that we observe that sometimes we've elected dummies to all positions of society? Sometimes we look at it and say, why did we put them there? But sometimes in biblical times, they didn't put them there. They arose through means of conniving and things such as that. And Solomon is looking at him and saying, that's just foolish for that to happen. Foolish decisions are made. Then he looks at business. Look with me at verses 8 through 10. He who digs a pit will fall into it. Whoever breaks the wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stone will be, may be hurt by them. And he who splits wood may be endangered by it. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. Now what Solomon is doing, he's looking at numerous occupations which are dangerous. And you can think about some of these. Let's make them a little more modern today. Let's say you're out in the woods and you're cutting wood with a chainsaw. How many of you want to be working with a man who's a fool with a chainsaw? Or maybe you're digging a ditch. But today we don't use shovels, we use backhoes. How many of you want to be in the ditch with a man who's a fool operating a backhoe? I don't think many of us want to do that. How many of you would want to be in a car with a man driving who is a fool? You say, I don't want to do that either. What Solomon is doing, he is picturing foolishness in the business occupations that were of his day. And then he's going to use a specific illustration of somebody who would take an axe that's not sharp. And he says you have to exert more strength to cut with that axe, but he says if he would sharpen it, oh, he could cut so much easier. You can either exercise your mind or you can exercise your body. You've got to, what he's trying to say is here, people who are lacking of wisdom and intelligence have difficulty in business. And you don't want to be a part of them. Number three is speech. Look with me at verses 11 through 15. A servant may bite when he is not charmed. The babbler is no different. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. The lips of a fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness. And the end of his talk is ravening madness. A fool multiplies his words. No man knows what is to be. Who can tell what will be after him? 
The labor of fools wearies them, for they do not even know how to go to the city. Now, um, he starts out with the charming of a serpent or a snake. I know you've all seen the picture of this uh, cobra that's in the basket, and then someone pipes a tune, and the cobra raises his head, but he won't bite because he's mesmerized by the sound of the tones. But here's a man who's got a serpent, he's got a snake, and he's not charmed him. And the serpent then bites him. You say, well, that was not very smart. If you're going to deal with a serpent that can bite, why didn't you go ahead and charm him to start with? That shows a person who didn't exercise a whole lot of wisdom. Wise people think about what they're saying before they say it. Do you see how that illustration of the serpent Bites before it's charmed. He's not thought about how dangerous of a thing he is dealing with. The fool sometimes doesn't realize that the words that come out of his mouth can be dangerous. And because of that, he doesn't think about what he's saying. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. Proverbs 10.32 The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. What Solomon is saying is the wicked man doesn't think. The foolish man doesn't think. If I say it this way, how is that going to be taken? If I say it another way, how will that be taken? I think it's important that you notice he also brings out gracious words. The lips of the wise speak gracious words. Do you know that the Bible talks about Jesus when he began his personal ministry in Luke 4, 22? So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Gracious words. Jesus was able to speak and speak words so that people loved him. And we go to Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace. Season with a little salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. We ought to be the same kind of people. I can say things two different ways sometimes. To some people, what I say may be offensive and it may be in your face. Or I can think carefully how to say it and respond in such a way that they do not take offense at what is being said. Solomon is saying the fool just speaks out. He doesn't think about his words and how they're received. And he talks about their multiplying of words. He just talks on and on and on. And Proverbs 15.2 says, The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours foolishness. Or the passage I think we all need to think about more often, James 1.19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. And slow to wrath. If we pause just a little bit more before we answer, sometimes the words we would use would be much different. 
you don't want to ask directions from them. The last part of that verse where he says they do not even know how to go to the city. Have you ever had a foolish person try to give you directions? By the time he keeps talking so much, you don't know where you're going because he didn't know where he was going either. You don't want to ask directions from a person who doesn't know what he's doing. So Solomon says, you see it in society, you see it in business, you see it in the words that people use, and he said you can see it in rulers as well. Look with me at verses 16 and 17, and then we'll jump verse 18 and go to verse 19. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles. And your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Dropping to verse 19. A feast is made for laughter and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. Well, child kings are immature. They're inexperienced. And so what do they do? What do they spend their time doing? Well, because I'm in a position of authority and I can get anything I want, let's have a party. In fact, let's party all day. Bring us the feast in the morning. We're going to eat all day long and we're going to drink all day long. On the other hand, wise kings have been trained by nobility. They were reared to understand their role in life. They feast at the proper time. And when they do feast, it's to draw strength from the food. And what you find here is some think life is all about partying and possessions. And if you haven't figured it out, verse 19 is being um, sarcastic. Money answers everything. Money's what it's all about. Listen to... Solomon in Proverbs 31, verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor princes intoxicating drink. You see, they've got a job to do. They can't party all the day. Or Isaiah 5, verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink who continue till midnight till wine inflames them. You see, there's some people that's what they live for. Final of the five observations. Verse 18, building. Because of laziness, the building decays. And through idleness of hands, the house leaks. Talking about rain coming through. Laziness was a frequent theme for Solomon. I think he probably had very little sympathy and very little appreciation for lazy people. Because he says in chapter 24, verses 30 through 34, I went by the field of a lazy man and by the vineyard of a man devoid of understanding, and there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like an armed 
or like a prowler and your need like an armed man. He said, I can see people's feels that are not maintained. He goes to chapter 26, verses 13 through 16. They'll say there's a line in the road. There's a line in the streets. And he uses an illustration, which I know Solomon had to perhaps giggle when he said it. As a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. The lazy man buries his hand to the bowl. It wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. You see, the picture that Solomon is given is a lazy man. He is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. It's observable in life. If no maintenance takes place, things begin to decay. Look at your own homes. There's a time when everything there was new. What happens? Things wear out. Things decay. Your roof begins to leak. What does God expect for people to do? Maintain things. One is foolish if he does not take care of what he has. And that doesn't matter whether it's your house, your family, your money, or your faith. In each of these, Solomon talks about wisdom. Now he's going to end with an observation and an admonition. Notice with me verse 20. Do not curse the king even in your thoughts. Do not curse the rich even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice and a bird in flight may tell the matter. You know, you may think, I can just in my own mind think of the derision that I have for a ruler or for somebody who's in a position of power. As long as I've got it in my mind, nobody else is going to find out about it. Or you may think, I can just say something to my wife or my husband in our bedroom and it'll, it'll never escape. Solomon's admonition is, you do that and you're entertaining foolishness in your own life. Because it may get out. And if it gets out, you're going to suffer the consequences for it. Admonition is, watch your mind, watch your mouth. Watch your mind, watch your mouth. And be careful because a little bird may tell it. Wise people guard both their thoughts and their words. As we conclude this lesson, too many friendships, too many families, too many churches have had their fellowship destroyed, disrupted by a little foolish word or deed. And I use the word little. You'd be surprised sometimes what little thing it is that can make a husband and a wife angry with each other. You'd be surprised what little words spoken among members of the Lord's church can cause heartache, confusion, and even division. Well, if that's true, then I ought to be very careful about what I say and what I do. Solomon advises letting wisdom guide your life. I'm going to end with James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. I think that's a great summary. 
to what Solomon was saying in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. If you will, take your song books out now. We're going to sing an invitation song for those of you who might need to become Christians. You do this through faith, repentance, confession of being baptized. For those of you who are straying and not walking with the Lord, you need to repent of those sins and come back and let us pray with you. And we are guaranteed by God that He will forgive. Would you come as we stand and sing?